We'll be at our first Corinthians. We're, we're journeying in our second message through our Church Matters series. We'll be at our first Corinthians. We'll back up one verse from last week, 9 through 17. So as you're turning there, just a little bit of review, a little bit of context. Uh, from last week's message, Bible says that in Christ, all Christians are saints. We're holy ones. And since we're saints, we've been given a new identity we see ourselves as God sees us, as saints. And since we're in Christ, we're, we're saints, we have been graced with peace. We're at peace with God. And since we're saints, we've been enriched with gifts. And these gifts are surrounded and, and throughout all our church family here at Evergreen SGV. And since we're saints, no matter what happens, coronavirus, fires, racial tensions, whatever's going on, our destiny is secured in Christ. So that's last week's message. So Paul spent a whole chunk of the letter, first chunk of the first Corinthians establishing who the Corinthian church were in Christ. And now Paul is now going to give an exhortation off of that. Paul loved the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was very near and dear to him. Like we said last week, he spent 18 months there ministering to the Corinthian church in person. And he's written four letters, two of them, First and Second Corinthians, have been canonized, meaning they're in the Bible. And there's two other letters that he wrote that are not uh, part of the Bible. He sent his best people, best helpers, best missionaries and pastors to go to minister to the Corinthian church after he left. So he loved this church dearly. However... There's no other church that grieved them more than the Corinthian church. And so we're going to learn about part of that grief today here in 1 Corinthians 9 through 17. So if you're able to, please rise. Even if you're at home, please rise. This is to honor the Lord by, we, by rising up to read his word. God has given us his holy word through the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. And I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I, bapt now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that? I do not know whether I baptize any other. Finish up with verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to treasure your word in our hearts so that we will love your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, everybody. Our nation is under a crisis of unity. America, as much as we love our nation, it is the greatest nation to live in, is such a divisive time for our nation. 
I mean, there's racial relationship tensions everywhere, everywhere you turn on, whether it's the, the, the football game, whether it's the news, whether it's social media, it's constantly there. Uh, through it all, there, people are asking to defund the police, to take apart, dismantle the police system. Black lives do matter. Every Christian would say that and believe that. However, Black Lives Matter organization has, has hijacked that concept of that Black Lives Do Matter. What do I mean by that? Well, the Black Lives Matter organization, according to their website, Who We Are section, desires to deconstruct authority. Black Lives Matter organization is trying to dismantle the nuclear family. They don't believe in the nuclear family. Father, mother, children. Black Lives Matter organization is trying to remove patriarchal or male leadership from the home. Black Lives Matter organization is there to promote LGBTQ identity, LGBTQ rights. Black Lives Matter organizations is trying to remove cisgender privileges. What is cisgender? Meaning the gender that you are assigned at birth. They say that when you're born a male and, and identify as that, you have privileges throughout your life. Of course we believe that Black Lives Matter, but we don't believe what Black Lives Matter organization is all about. Coronavirus, that's another topic. There's different views, even within the church, but throughout America, different views on the coronavirus. And this will dictate our view of philosophy of life, how we do life, right? This is a, this is even got, this, even the coronavirus has been politicized. Right, whether it's Republican or dem- Democratic uh, agendas are mushed into the coronavirus situation. This is an election year too. Also, in November, could be an explosive election. Respect. There's not much respect shown for both candidates between candidates. There's not much respect shown to the candidates from the public. And it's kind of become like an identity politics things where wherever you side with, whether it's Republican or Democratic, that kind of defines who you are, your identity, you know. And we all know a nation divided cannot stand. We know this. A house divided cannot stand. We do understand this. So it's a really divisive time in our country right now. Corinth, in similar fashion, was highly political. Highly political. Caesar Augustus, Caesar of Rome, the Roman Empire, made Corinth the uh, capital of Achaia. Achaia is that island, the southern island of Greece. And Corinth had different social strata with political uh, climbers involved to try to climb up the social ladder to gain more prominence. There were distinct class, uh, classes, rich and poor. All right, there were rich Corinthians and poor Corinthians. And all of that was in the Corinthian church. So we're gonna, I'm going to turn my attention to verse 9 here. God is faithful. I wanted to read this because this, is, this sums up our identity of who we are in Christ, as Christians. Through whom you're called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our identity. We've been united to Christ. Fellowship with Christ means that we have close relationship. We're in a partnership with Christ. We're in union with Christ. 
So therefore, verse 10, let's go to our first point. Paul gives his first exhortation to the Corinthian church. Since you are in Christ, knowing that the Corinthian church was surrounded with all that political, cultural things that I just mentioned, Corinthians, you are in Christ. You are saints. Therefore, or verse 10 would say, now. So the first principle, or the first point is the principle is unity. Paul emphasizes unity. And let's read verse 10 together. Now, there's a big transition there. I exhort you, brethren. I exhort. So Paul is exhorting, encouraging the, the, the Corinthian church to act a certain way. Right? And 2 Timothy 4.2 says, this is what pastors do. We, as pastors, we exhort, we encourage, we guide in the right way. And what does he come with? This exhortation comes in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he comes with seriousness. He comes with the highest level of authority. I'm coming representing Christ, and I'm exhorting you, church family, is what Paul is saying, is writing. And Paul rolls out the terms of unity right here. He says that all of you agree, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be made complete. Now, this is interesting. As I studied these concepts of that all of them in agreement, be in agreement, that there be no divisions, that they all be made complete. Keep in mind now what I just said earlier. Corinth was a highly political area. All right? It's kind of like Washington, D.C. It was a high, politics was a big part of Corinth. And so Paul uses political terms. These are all political terms that he uses. Let me explain. The first thing is all agree. In other words, it could also mean speak the same. And the meaning, meaning this political uh, picture that comes out that you be all allies. All right? And be, that there be no divisions, he says in verse 10. Schismata is the original word in the Greek. That means there's no tears or, or fractions, you know, like, or schisms within you guys due to, to power struggles or due to self-interest. These, are, these point towards party divisions, right? Having a divided mind, a broken body. So schismata or being, uh, divisions means just torn apart. All right, if, it's, if you tear your shirt in half, torn apart. And what comes to mind is a story that's come out of Washington, D.C. And uh, it's not a political story, but this is probably one of the best stories that's come out uh, for 2020 out of our nation's capital, and it's a football story. Football season started, games have started on, uh, in the NFL on th this past Thursday. Now people are playing, teams are playing now. But there was a very serious injury that happened in 2018 to the Washington Redskins team. And Alex Smith, their quarterback, was hit. And his foot was caught in an awkward position. And he suffered a very serious injury. He suffered one of the rare injuries in football, but it happens from time to time. A spiral uh, tibia fibula fracture. I mean, this bone, his, his bones in his right leg, the lower right leg, were just cracked into, and it was a compound fracture, so uh, some of his bones are sticking out of his skin. This is serious. You don't see this often. This is a very serious injury. He had the air cast put on, 
Okay, the cart come out and he was wheeled off and should have been the end for him as a player. And people do not come back from these sorts of injuries. These are, these are different from normal breaks. But after 17 surgeries, 17 surgeries, he's back playing. He made the team as one of their quarterbacks. Amazing, an amazing story. I mean, what an amazing comeback story. And so right here, as we look to verse 10 here, it says, but that you be made complete, that you be made complete. This is the idea here. I give you that story to illustrate to be made complete. The original language has a picture of two bones being mended together, all right? As if being restored, mended, setting broken bones. Right now, Alex Smith's fibula and tibia are, are, are fused back together, healthy enough to play at a professional level. It's amazing. So Paul was saying, you need to have these, these fractions and these tears to be brought back together. Be united. Display unity. This is what Paul is saying in verse 10, that you be made complete or you be unified, that there is unity amongst one another at Corinth. And so what does it mean to be united? What does it mean to be united? It goes on in verse 10, but that you be made complete or that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Same mind, way of thinking, your attitude is the same. Although, Pastor Dan said, we may have different interests outside the church, we may go to different universities or schools or drive different cars or we have a different type of favorite ice cream, that's okay. But Christians have the same mind, the Bible says. And in the same judgment, we have the same purpose, the same viewpoint, the same opinions. So Paul is saying to the local church, be united. And this is not an exhortation to all the churches. There may be some distinctives that are different from Evergreen, SGV to other churches, but particularly at Corinth or at Evergreen, SGV, let's be united. Paul's saying, let's be united. He's writing a specific letter to a specific local church addressing a specific problem of disunity. And how you do that is you put on the mind of Christ. Have the same mind. Put on the head. The scriptures. The scriptures are the only source of unity because the, the truth is what unifies. The truth about who Christ is is what unifies us. We believe the same things. We have the same convictions, same standards. So we come here for Christ. This is why we come. This is why we gather, as, as Pastor Dan talked about, our love for Christ is what brings us together. Your love for Christ is what causes you to tune in every Sunday on Lord's Day and worship together, knowing by faith that everyone else is doing the same thing. Amen? That's why we do this. Back when I was growing up, you know, maybe like high school days and early 90s, early 90s, one of the cool places to go to Micah, believe it or not, was at Pointe Hills Mall. <laughs> it may not be like that today. I don't know. But it was cool because they had a movie theater, they had AMC theaters, they had an arcade in there. So me and my friend Yuji would go there. We'd get dropped off or we'd walk from, from his home and go there and whatever we wanted to do. If we felt like getting a snack, we'd, we'd get a, a, a ice cream. 
get a lemonade. If you're hungry, you might get some food. If you want to just compete against each other before, uh, before a PlayStation and all that, we'd have to go to the arcade and play Street Fighter and all those sort of things, right? If we wanted to be entertained, we simply go to a movie, right? They had, they had AMC, and it was great. But the local church is not like that. The local church is not called to be a mall of different ideas or different interests. That's not it. The Evergreen SUV is not called to be a mall of places. I'm interested in this area. I'm interested in this distinctive. No, no, no. We come together. There's only one product here. This is Jesus. This is what we're about. We can't have different distinctives. We don't have different uh, doctrinal positions, different emphasis. We don't get to shop around Evergreen and then camp out in certain areas. We need to be unified. This, is, this causes differences within our church family. And without unity of mind, there's confusion, all right? And basically what we're left with is only a social or organizational unity. We may learn to kind of coexist with one another, but there's no heart unity, right? You know what I'm talking about. We may be able to be cordial to one another. We may be able to kind of function as an organization. But the heart unity, we're not going forward in the way that God has called us to move forward. Members are left without clarity, it can, you cannot be fired up or eager to be part of Evergreen if like everyone else is not doing the same thing. It's like, man, am I the only one that thinks this? Or am I a little tribe that thinks this? You cannot be as productive in the life of the local church. Another local church in, in, in Greece I'm going to go to Philippians. Paul writes something very similar. So this wasn't, a, this wasn't just unique to Corinth. This was also an issue in the Philippian church. And Paul writes something very similar. He talks about their identity and their union and their fellowship with Christ. And then talks about being unified, having the same mind. Let me read Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Bible says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, look, he starts off with Christ. If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete. How, Paul? By being of the same mind. There it is again. Maintaining the same love. Same love for Christ and one another. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Verse 3. So Paul is saying, be unified since you're in Christ. Be unified. Unity. This is what Paul is talking about. In verse 3, he talks about the enemy to unity. Verse 3, do, not, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Did you guys get that? The enemy to unity is selfishness. The sin of selfishness keeps us separated. But the key to unity is humility. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Don't just think about yourselves. But also for the interests of others. You're thinking about others. Verse 5, just like Christ, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Corinthian church struggle with this. Corinthian church was affected by the spirit of the age or the culture, all right, the Roman or Greek, Greco-Roman culture. 
Corinth was a very competitive, status-driven, status-obsessed location. So the Corinthian church was plopped into this culture of competitiveness and status-achieving obsession. It inf- it, but unfortunately, it seeped into the church. It infected the church, which caused division, selfishness. The enemy of, of conceit led to egotism. All right? It's basically a sin nature which caused the divisions in the Corinthian church. Sin nature, selfishness, self-centeredness. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians. They want to separate from one another, meaning they want to elevate one another from others. Like, we want to be distinct from others. We want to be our own person. Individuality was very important. Status was a vehicle to separate from one another. Say, hey, we're Christians, but you know what? I'm a little bit more special, right? So this was a status-seeking culture, and the Corinthians lost their way. So Paul is calling on for unity. The principle is let's be unified. Unity is the issue here. And Paul, in point number two, defines the problem, which is body division. If you're taking notes on your app, body division. Division is what you want to type in there. That's the problem. So he defines the problem in point number two here. Verse 11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. So Chloe was a prominent member of the Corinthian church. Somehow her people was able to get a message to Paul, either by letter or in person. And that there are quarrels among you. Quarrels among you. Among you. There's discord, lack of love. And always keep in mind, Paul always talks about this, whether in Acts 20, 28, whether it be false teachers among you, quarrels among you. The problems always come from within. It isn't necessarily outside the church. It isn't necessarily about politics or, or government uh, agendas or anything like that. It's from within, among you, Paul is saying. And just a side note here, guys. Notice how Chloe, Sister Chloe, sees an issue, and what does she do? Does she just sit it, sit by it, and go, oh, I don't want to create problems? Or does she go to authority figure? She went to the authority figure. She goes, Paul, we need help. The church that you love, that you spent 18 months with, we're divided. We need help. And notice Paul also just names her too. Chloe's people. You know, this isn't something like, oh, I heard through the grapevine. And it's like, no, no. Chloe's willing to stand by her issues. And there's something good about that. There's something right about that just to be able to disclose issues to the leadership so leadership could address it and to be able to stand by those concerns. Anyway, I just, that just came to mind. But So what was this, this quarreling about? What were these infighting amongst the, uh, the Corinthians about? Well, verse 12. All right, let, let's, let's read here, verse 12 here. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, each one of you, okay, that's a pretty broad uh, stroke where he captures the whole church. Each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. What does that mean? Well, keep in mind, identity politics was a big deal in Corinth, all right? Personality cults were being formed up. And... Corinth believed that associations 
gave you status, right? Think about it. It's kind of like you're able to see some kind of celebrity. They say, can I take a picture with you? And they do, and then you post it up online. Somehow that perhaps may elevate some of our status, right? Like, whoa, you get to hang out with this guy or see this person. It was no different in that time, okay, church? Back in Corinth 2,000 years ago, there was a Greek philosopher named Plutarch. Plutarch had this illustration which said, like, the Corinthians were like vines attaching themselves and intertwining with strong trees so that they could grow higher and higher and higher. So these prominent figures were like strong trees, and the Corinthians were like vines attaching themselves to these tall, prominent trees, which gave them status. So when he says, I am of Paul, someone is basically saying, I'm part of the Paul party. And what was significant about Paul? Well, Paul was a church planter at Corinth. He was a big figure. He spent 18 months, like we talked about in Acts 18, and he led many people to Christ. Paul planted. Paul planted the church in Corinth. And a lot of the charter members of the Corinthian church probably felt a strong affinity to him. Hey, I was part of the original group. Paul, I actually heard Paul preach the gospel. I came to Christ through Paul. I'm a Paul guy. But then Paul will leave to Ephesus. And the others would say, I have Apollos. What does that mean? Well, this is interesting. I thought this was very fascinating as I studied this, as I'm getting deeper and deeper into the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church were also in transition, just like us. Apollos was the succeeding pastor. Paul sends Apollos to go care for the Corinthian church. Isn't that interesting? In Acts 18, Apollos is described as being bold and elegant, a powerful preacher. He had the gift of preaching. Perhaps he was even more talented than Paul was. And Apollos' job was to water Paul's work. So Paul planted, Bible says, Apollos watered. And no doubt the people were edified under Apollos' teaching and preaching. No doubt maybe more people came to Christ under Apollos' teaching and preaching. No doubt he edified the saints. So some people are very much endeared to Apollos. Apollos was gifted. Apollos was the man that was taking care of him. It's kind of like for our context saying, you know, for our charter members of our church, maybe saying, hey, I'm a Pastor Corey guy, right? Or, or maybe for newer people, hey, I'm a Pastor Rocky guy. That could, be, that could have been the mindset of what Paul is talking about, addressing here in Corinth. And then others were saying, I have Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter, the first amongst the 12 disciples, the leader of the disciples, the famous Peter out of John 21. Do you love me? Peter, the leader of the disciples. Cephas, or Kephas, was his uh, other name, and Peter was the new given name by our Lord, the Cephas party. Undoubtedly, there were Jewish converts in the Corinthian church, and I was trying to understand, what was Peter's connection to the Corinthian church? I know Paul, that's very clear. I know Apollos, that's very clear. But how is Peter connected? Well, these Jewish converts, you know, were part of the Corinthian church, And Peter, keep in mind, 
was the renowned apostle. He was the first amongst the amongst equals. He was the leader of the disciples. He was that guy. He was the famous apostle. Where keep in mind, uh, uh, Paul's letters. Although he wrote thirteen New Testament epistles, the Bible hasn't been canonized yet. He's still kind of establishing himself as an apostle, believe it or not. But Peter was recognized. This is the one that uh, that the Lord personally discipled when he was on earth. So what, I, what comes to my mind with Peter, he is that renowned teacher, preacher. I mean, today in this day and age, we have the internet, which is filled with a lot of bad things, but filled with a lot of great things. We have access at the click of our fingers to the greatest preachers of all time. Even if they're not even alive, they got recordings of their preaching. Even if they're, and, and other preachers who are alive. You know, books, radio programs. I mean, we got, we got it all it was at the fingertips of our devices, conferences you could even attend and go, man, these are the greatest. I sit under these wonderful teachers and, I, and I'm part of that too. So perhaps right now you, you may be thinking, I am of MacArthur, I'm of Piper, I'm of Keller, I'm of Tony Evans, right? It's just to name out some of the more famous pastors, preachers. And I like all these guys too. So perhaps there's some in, the, in our church family or in Corinth who are saying, you know what, I listen to Peter. I listen to Keller. What can these guys teach me? I, I listen to the best of the best. I already, that's how I get fed. This is, where, this is where I get my nourishment, my biblical nourishment. What can I learn here? Well, 1 Peter 5, 2 says, shepherd a flock among you. That's the difference. That word among you shows up again. Whether it's Pastor Dan, Pastor Ron, Pastor Kenny, or Pastor Terry, any of the other pastors or myself, we are among you. As, as we appreciate and revere gifted men who teach and preach like that at a world-class level, they're not amongst us. They don't know your issues. They're not praying for you. They're not interacting with you. They're not re receiving encouragement from you. When they prepare sermons, they're not thinking about you. When they're preaching, literally people are coming to my mind from our church family. That's the difference. Among you, shepherd a flock of God among you. Peter even says it, shepherd a flock of God among you. 1 Peter 5, 2. Now let me just temper some of this here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 says, it's natural and good to appreciate those who serve you, minister to you. These are good things. Those who poured into you from the past, present, or even distantly through the internet or other things. It's great to appreciate Pastor Corey. It's great to appreciate me even. It's great to appreciate all you Evergreen SGV pastors. Even great to, uh, to appreciate these gifted internet preachers. No question. These are all gifts from the Lord. But the problem in Corinth was this. They started identifying with the servant more than the master, Christ himself. They started, I, their attachment of their identity started being tied in. They started being the vines around these men rather than their identities and their status being securely grounded in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now this fourth category here, I, I got to cover this now. This is important. This was, could cause us some confusion here. Verse 13, no, verse 12, excuse me. And I of Christ... The Christ party. 
This is talking about our Lord. I mean, is this a problem? Was Paul talking about this as a problem? Isn't that what Paul wants? Like, I am of Christ, right? Isn't that what he wants? Yes, but, let me just clarify. Yes, that's what he wants. But, perhaps some of these Christians are saying, you know what, all I need is Jesus I don't need to sit under any authority. I don't need, to, I don't need a pastor. I don't need any, uh, any human to teach me. I've been around professing believers in the past where I just ask them, hey, what church are you part of? I'm not part of a church. Why, what do you mean? You know, I don't believe in organized religion. You know, the people are broken there. And you know what? I got Jesus and the Holy Spirit teaches me everything I need to know. What? Right? Do you know anyone like that? Does anyone like that come to mind? I, have, I am of Christ. True, the Spirit of God leads us into truth. No question. However, how the Spirit of God works and how Christ has decided to work amongst the church is using Spirit-filled men and women to serve one another, teach one another, implement our gifts for one another. This is not an isolated thing. It's as if I'm a super spiritual guy. All I need is Christ. yes. But Christ gave us his body to minister to one another, right? So it was not a theological controversy which divided the Corinthian church. Oftentimes it is not that in the church, but it was something else. It was a power struggle because the more status one had, more power one achieved and was able to obtain in Corinth. It was a power struggle. Going back to Alex Smith, 17 surgeries I mentioned. One of the hardships that came about, there was infection in his leg, and so the doctors had to cut out this infection. I mean, can you imagine that? Doctors had to gouge out and dig out the infected part of his leg so that his leg could keep healthy. So those infection, what was the infection that came to the Corinthian church? It was just sin. It was just worldly issues. So how does Paul do surgery here? This is important. How does Paul actually address this situation? Well, this goes to point number three. The premise. The premise. The truth of Christ. Truth of fill in the blank. Christ. Christ. Paul uses the word of God, the sword of the spirit, to perform heart surgery on the people. This truth, the word of God. And he, not only that, he goes right directly to the Jesus scalpel. All right? Paul makes a theological argument, starting with who Christ is. In verse 13, he rattles off some rhetorical, hyperbolic questions. What is that? Rhetorical means you don't answer these questions. They're a question that makes a statement. Hyperbolic means there's exaggerated statements. So Paul rattles off three. Has Christ been divided? Paul was crucified for you, was he? Was not crucified for you, was he? Were you baptized into, into the name of Christ, in the name of Christ? So he just rattles these things out, boom, 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 boom. Has Christ been divided? Verse 13, has Christ been divided? In Acts 9, 4, Jesus talks to Paul, well, he was named Saul. He goes, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Meaning when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus considered Paul persecuting Jesus, meaning his body. Why are you persecuting me? 
So Paul is asking a very rhetorical question in a hyperbolic way, saying, has Christ's body been chopped up to different pieces? Like at the butcher shop, has Jesus' body been chopped up into pieces? Been dismembered, torn apart. This is a grotesque scene, right? Paul was not crucified for you, comma, was he? Were you baptized in the name of Paul, question mark? All absurd questions, of course. I mean, anyone would, any Christian would be able to say, no, of course not. Of course not. And that's Paul's point. And then why are you acting this way? It should incite in us, then why are you acting this way in such a divided fashion? I mean, he even goes into verse 14, 15, and 16, talking about baptism, how even baptism has been corrupted, where they started uh, making the minister who baptized them a bigger deal than what baptism actually means, rather than their symbolic union with Christ. I want to read a couple, make a couple of points about the truth about Christ. I want to minister the scalpel of Christ here. Okay, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, okay? This talks about how Jesus has one body. Verse 12, Corinthians 12. For even as the body is one, one body, and has yet many members. Pastor Dan talked about many members, very unique members, and all the members of the body... Though they are many, only one body, one body. So also is Christ. Christ is one. For by one spirit we were all baptized, not into Paul, not into Peter, not into a particular pastor, but into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Those are the differences that Pastor Dan talked about. We have different ethnic makeups in our group. Whether slaves or free, whether rich or poor, different economic uh, makeups in our church. We're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many, meaning the body is one member, but has different parts. The big idea is Jesus has one body. All right? Second point I want to make about the truth of Christ comes out of John 17 in his pre high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 21 to 23. This is Jesus' prayer life. This is what he desires. This is literally perhaps what Jesus is praying right now in heaven as he's interceding for us constantly. This is what he's praying. Uh, John 17, verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. There it is again, one, just as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. There's that word again. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. All right. So Paul is making a huge point with, these, with that hyperbolic question saying, has Christ been divided? Of course not. Of course not. Jesus has one body. And this is what his prayer life, that his body remain intact. Therefore, the, the, his theological argument is this. Division 
division, schisms in the local church is incompatible with Christ. Does not make sense. Does not compute with who Christ is. Christ has, is the head and he has one body. I'm just going to take a quick time out here um, from the sermon. October 18th, exciting announcement. We're going to have an outdoor baptism service. We have a, a handful of people who are interested in baptized. It's exciting. October 18th. Yes, I'll be baptizing some of them, God willing, but they're not going to be baptized in my name. They're going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Their union with Christ is what they're affirming to the local church here at Evergreen SGB. Exciting. I'm pretty fired up about that. Let's go to our fourth and final point. Fourth and final point. The priority. Where is Paul's priority? The priority is gospel preaching. Fill in the blank. Gospel preaching on your apps. Discipleship is a central theme of the church here at Evergreen SGV. Let me say that again. Discipleship is the central theme of our local church here at Evergreen SGV. That is our one purpose. That is our one mind. That is our one heart. This is where our Lord has charged us to go. And discipleship is about two things. This should serve as a review, but I, I want to keep repeating these things. Number one, discipleship is about evangelism. Helping people come to Christ, right? Number two, it's about edification. Edification, that means helping one another become more like Christ, building each other up to become more like Christ, to look like the head. And the gospel message is absolutely essential to discipleship. You get what you emphasize, my friends and brothers and sisters. You get what you emphasize. The emphasis is the gospel message. The gospel message is what saves. The gospel message says that God is holy and God will judge all sinners. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That means eternity apart from God. That's the bad news. But the gospel, the good news says, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, God, fully God, took on human form, fully God, fully man, lived the perfect life on earth. Can you imagine that? Something that none of us have been able to do, whether in thought or deed. Christ went to the cross, and the Father poured out his judgment and wrath on Jesus. Jesus experienced a moment of separation from the Father, and he died, physically died. And three days later, rose again. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The gospel message is not only about salvation, but notice what I said at the end. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, gospel message also talks about the lordship, that Jesus is my head. I'm going to follow you. You are the one I listen to. I repent. I turn around, away from my sin, living for myself or, and for others, and turn to you, my head, Jesus, as my Lord. That's part of the gospel message. But also the gospel message talks about this. We're connected to the head, therefore we're part of his body. We're connected to other Christians. 
The gospel message is about community in his body. That's why the gospel message saves. We need to be clear about the saving work of Christ. We need to be clear about the lordship of Christ. We also need to be clear on what we're coming into, his kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, our Lord said. And the gospel message also edifies. Think about this now. I'm edified to studying the book of Corinthians and I'm having a deeper understanding of what it means to be in Christ, a part of his body, a part of his body. In the gospel, there is no separation from one another. The Corinthians want to separate from one another. The Corinthians want to elevate from one another. There is no separation. In the gospel, there is no status apart from Christ. He is our strong tree, right? There are no other trees. All these other trees do not exist. They're part of, it's an illusion that the world puts out. Christ is that massive tree. Christ is the one that we latch onto. And, and actually, he's the one that holds us up and pulls us up with him. He is that tree. Amen? And because of that, since we have the same tree, same source of strength, source of status, we're unified with one another. That's how this works. That's exactly how this works. I'm going to finish up here with a short application here. Unity at Evergreen SGV. We are in transition. I know we talked about a transition plan in 17 and 18, but really transition is, we're right in the middle of it right now. We're right in the middle of it. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. I've never been more excited to be part of Evergreen SUV. I've never been more enthralled. All my senses are at, at its highest, you know, and I've never felt more uh, in line with what the Lord has called me to do in my life, in, in our family's life. I'm so grateful, so privileged. I love it. I love it. But what we, I want to let you know is this. Unity begins with the leadership of our church family. Christ is our head, but he has under shepherds. I serve as one of them. The pastors serve as others. Staff members serve as others. So we need to be unified as a pastoral team and as a staff. We're working on that. We want to have the same mind and move swiftly in the same direction as we lock arms with one another. We also need unity amongst the lay leadership, amongst the board, amongst the branch shepherds and other ministry leaders. There needs to be unity there too and with one another. This is critical. Without being unified at the leadership level, the people may overcome that, but it's going to be difficult. Unity begins at the leadership level. And then once the leadership is clearly unified and galvanized, then the church membership, your role is to follow and to trust that Christ is leading the leaders of the church, therefore leading you. This is critical that we know that, that our Lord is caring for us. Going back to Alex Smith, uh, this is going to be an, an incredible comeback story, one of the greatest comeback stories in sports. And, but there was a story behind this comeback, a dark story, a dark story. It was a warlike injury. I mean, it, it was horrific. Therefore, there was an incredible infection that took place in his right leg. And his wife, 
Ask the team doctors this. Can you imagine this, wives, asking a doctor this question? What would you do if it was you, doctor? And the doctor's response is, I would have my leg amputated if it were me. Can you imagine hearing that? Well, thank God, the team doctor had a close friend who's a physical therapist, and uh, this physical therapist spent 10 years working with injured combat vets. 10 years. So he's seen this type of injury. He goes, well, you know what? That seems very similar to blast trauma. Bombs go off. And men and women are, have suffered similar type of injuries. That's the type of force that, that this player went under. So he had an idea. Why don't we get him checked in to this military facility, I think in San Antonio, and get him rehab. Let's get him right. I've seen people recover from this. right? We don't have to cut his leg off. We don't have to cut off parts. We don't have to cut off members of his body. Let's keep the leg and get him checked in. And this is, I think, a historic thing where they allowed a civilian to rehab in this facility. And he got surgery, started back in two, November 2018. Now it's September 2020. Almost two years. Okay, this has been a long haul for this, this player. But it's very similar as I talk about, like, church life and I've been consulted with incredible pastors who've been through similar things. You know what they tell me, Rocky? It's going to take some time. It's a church family. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. And the good news is this. God's gifted us with the gifts. God's gifted us with one another. God's gifted us with the word. The more we sit under the word, the more you take those notes, the more you just meditate on the truths about who Christ is, we'll be unified. I'm going to follow Paul. Just like this vet had experience, I mean this PT had experience, I'm going with Paul. Paul went with the Jesus scalpel. I'm going with Jesus here. I'm going with what he went through. We're going to minister Christ. The more you know him, the more we understand the gospel, the more we understand what we've been called into. This is an exciting time. I, I tell you, there's no more exciting time in the life of Evergreen than now. This is what you live for as a Christian. This is exciting. And I'm so privileged to be part of this. And I know you feel the same way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel message. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that your gospel saves. Thank you for your, how your gospel sanctifies. Lord, I help our church family, Evergreen SGV, to understand the gospel in a more deeper way, in a way that grows our love for you and grows our identity in your son, Jesus Christ, and what it means to be part of your body. Father, I pray for unity amongst the leadership of our church, and I pray for leader, uh, unity amongst the membership of our church, Lord. I thank you, Father. You are so good. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.